0: Welcome to the Sloth Investor Podcast with your host, Mr. Sloth.
1: The information on this podcast is provided for education and informational purposes only. The information contained in or provided from or through this podcast is not intended to be and does not constitute advice of any kind. Welcome everyone to episode 15 of the Sloth Investor Podcast, an investing podcast that explores why I believe the humble sloth is the best animal to characterize successful investing. Once again, I'm joined by my fellow stock investor and co-host Jay.
0: Jay, how are you? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. Thanks for asking. And, and for those interested who might follow ho- ice hockey, my Edmonton Oilers are doing quite well. And the weather here in Hong Kong is beautiful. It's sunny and warm during the days, cool in the evenings. But most importantly, I'm actually really excited about today's topic. That's great. It's great. Cooler weather, great to play sport, great to walk
1: around Hong Kong. And yeah, like you, Jay, I'm really excited about today's episode. Okay. So, listeners, as I've mentioned on many occasions during this podcast series, the sloth investor is a compound creation of everything that I've read, listened to, discussed, and thought about investing. Okay. Now, undoubtedly, there are several key influences. These individuals belong in what I call the Sloth Investor Hall of Fame. Regular listeners of the podcast will know that the first inductee into the Hall of Fame was Jack Bogle, founder of the Vanguard Group and creator of the first index fund. That, of course, was episode 10. In this episode, we turn our attention to someone that I consider to be the world's most famous investor, an individual that is simply synonymous with the realm of investing, who quite simply, in my opinion, transcends it. Now, when I think about martial arts, I immediately think of Bruce Lee. When I think about Western movies, I think about John Wayne and Clint Eastwood.
0: Now, today, actually, in today's, I'm just thinking this analogy: Dwayne the Rock Johnson. It might be as another, as another good one. Yeah, I, I think about him with action, action, uh, action b- movies nowadays yeah. too.
1: And, and you know, there are certain individuals that you just automatically, you know you see them as synonymous with their particular field, their particular arena of life, their particular occupation, let's say, you know? And, And for me, when I think of investing, it's the following person's name that immediately comes to the forefront of my mind, okay? And this person is, of course, Warren Buffett. You know, Jay, it's episode 15, and it's about time that we devoted an entire episode to Warren Buffett. Couldn't agree more. Yep, our second entrant into the stuff Investor Hall of Fame. This must surely be a name that you have read and heard again and again and again. Is that right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think his nickname is the Oracle of Omaha. Mm. And um, perhaps we'll delve into that a bit later. But yeah, yeah absolutely. This is um, somebody, and we're going to delve into why, but someone who really resonates with me as an investor, as a, an investor who doesn't know a whole lot about investing, but it, I love what he has to say about how I can simplify things in my life to be a good, sound investor. Mm, That's great, Jay. That's great. So I want to try to achieve two things
1: with this episode of the podcast. Without a doubt, I want to expand on Buffett's inference on the formation of my five bedrock principles. However, something that is undeniable about Buffett is the extent to which we can learn so much from him about life itself. So focusing upon these two aims provides us with the roadmap for episode 15 of the Sloth Investor podcast. So again, to be clear, these two aims are, one, expanding on Buffett's influence on my five bedrock principles, and two, exploring what he can teach us about how to live effectively as people. Okay, so Jay and I will try our best to steer our discussion towards achieving these two aims. This certainly isn't going to be an A to Z of Warren Buffett, but we'll try our best to capture the essential elements of this profoundly influential man's life. Incidentally, speaking of HC, I recently vin- visited the HC store. You know, that, that's right, Amazon.com. And I did a simple search for Warren Buffett books. After hitting retur- the return key on my laptop, do you know how many search results lay in front of me, Jay? What do you I'm, reckon?
0: I'm going to say 60.
1: Well, I tell you what, there's been an awful lot of books written about Warren Buffett and it's actually over 2,000, over 2,000 books. 2,000 books written on Warren Buffett. Yeah. On Amazon. It's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, what left is there for us to say? Should we just hang up our headphones now and say goodbye? No, you know what? We're not going to do that. We're going to be positive. But there's so much that has been written about Warren Buffett, you know, so I think it's about time that we added a few more words for our own Jay, you know, so are you ready to get going?
0: You know what, can we back up for people who don't know about him? Can you tell us a little bit about, about um, his humble beginnings? Mm, absolutely, absolutely. So,
1: you know, Warren Buffett is, of course, the CEO of Berkshire Hathaway, an American multinational conglomerate holding headquartered in Omaha, Nebraska, and US. But, you know, like you say, I think it's good to take a little bit of a rewind and to really delve deeper into into his early years okay so let's begin with his father you know His father, Howard Buffett was a stockbroker. Warren was called Fireball by his father. As a kid, Warren was fascinated by anything to do with numbers and money. He got his first books on the stock market at age eight and bought his first stock at age 11, just 11 years old. Let us move all the way back now to 1942 when as an 11 year old he bought his first shares. I'll read now from Buffett's 2018 Berkshire Hathaway shareholder letter. Begin quote. The year was 1942. I was 11 and I went all in, investing $114.75. I had begun accumulating since the age of six. What I bought was three shares of city service preferred stock. I'd become a capitalist and it felt good. End quote. So let's just let you know, the stock actually dropped to only $27, but Buffett held on tenaciously until it reached $40. He sold his shares at a small profit, but regret- regretted the decision when city service shot up to nearly $200 a share. He later cited this experience as an early lesson in patience in investing
0: okay put up your hand if you are have been susceptible to finding a, a small tiny little profit and selling thinking you've done very very well only to realize that the stock has continued to grow um over the next couple of months and the next couple of years mm. And you, you can't see right now but my hand is up mm. absolutely absolutely and i'm trying to teach this thing the same principle to my own son Right now, that when you when you buy a stock, we're holding it not for a couple of months or to try and get a tiny little profit and to sell as soon as we get a tiny little profit. We're we're holding for the long game here. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: And you know, we look at the maths here. So he spent a hundred fourteen dollars seventy five. He bought three shares. So a little bit of maps, That's roughly around about thirty eight to thirty nine dollars a share, roughly, and he sold at $40. So he's probably quite happy with himself, you know, made, made a small profit. But to think those shares shot up to nearly $200 a share. And I think, Jay, like you just mentioned, we've all been guilty of it. We think, ah, you know, maybe a stock hasn't moved for a while. We've made a small profit on it. You know, we can, uh, let's sell. But yeah, my goodness, if we'd just been a little bit more patient, just invest a little bit more time, we would have done a lot better on that holding. So, um, yeah, even the Oracle of Omaha himself, Warren Buffett, from the early age, he recognized the
0: importance of patience.
1: Unbelievable.
0: Did he, didn't he go, there's something, I know he has a connection with Harvard School being a, a critical point in yeah. his life. yeah. Can you yeah. tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, let's uh, let's move on to that,
1: Jay. So so let's move on to things a little further forward to the midway point of the 20th century, okay? So Buffett applied to Harvard Business School and in the summer of 1950, he was interviewed for a placement there. However, after just 10 minutes, though, the interview was over and so were Buffett's prospects of going to Harvard. Despite the sting of this rejection, rejection Buffett considered it the luckiest thing to have ever happened to him. Because upon returning to Omaha, he learned that Benjamin Graham was teaching at Columbia's Business School and he immediately and successfully applied. So Benjamin Graham is widely known as the father of value investing and is the author of The Intelligent Investing, sorry, The Intelligent Investor, a cornerstone investment book for many. So Benjamin Graham had a profound influence on Buffett's investing philosophy, especially the psychology of investing. For example, in The Intelligent Investor, Graham has this to say, begin quote. The investor who permits himself to be stampeded or unduly worried by unjustified market declines in his holdings is perversely transforming his basic advantage into a basic disadvantage. That man would be better off if his stocks had no market quotation at all, for he would then be spared the mental anguish caused him by another person's mistake of judgment end quote so uh, hopefully listeners can begin to see here how this form of thinking began to exert an
0: influence on a young warren buffett okay, for a, a simplistic mind like my mm. own what, what does that mean what is he saying there what is what's the essence of that quote yeah so so essentially what he's saying here is
1: that it's so critically important to be able to think for oneself to not be worried unduly worried by market declines uh, are genuinely caused by other people's mistakes of judgment. Mm. Think about Mr. Market we've touched upon before. And let me just read part of that quote again. The investor who permits himself to be stampeded or unduly worried by unjustified market declines in his holdings is perversely transforming his basic advantage into a basic disadvantage. So fundamentally, it's, it's that whole idea of taking a look in the mirror, what do you see? Are you becoming unduly worried, anxious about the behavior of the market, behavior of Mister Market, another term um, generated by uh, Benjamin Graham, and just really considering what are you doing? Are you are you acting in a foolhardy way, or are you acting in in a more rational manner? And, 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 and th- Jay, go ahead, Jay. Well,
0: yeah. the, to yeah. me, this 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 connects really really well mm. to your idea of, of remaining headstrong.
1: Yeah. And that,
0: that, to me, that's so important, fundamentally important. Mm. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah. So, oh my gosh, you just think about the stock market.
1: There are so many scenarios which could compel us to act in a foolhardy way. You know, we've touched upon Grace Groner before, I believe, in, in, in episode four, and we think about her life. You now, for those who haven't listened to episode four, she was a humble woman. Um, she worked as a secretary for her entire life. And yet, she remained invested in the stock market for 70 plus years. And you think about the geopolitical events that occurred during her lifetime. We think about World War II, the Korean War, the Cuban Missile Crisis, JFK's assassination, uh, the Vietnam War, the old crisis of the 70s, and so on and so on, Black Monday in the late 80s, I think it was 1987. And throughout it all, throughout all of those events, she remained headstrong. And again, going back to this quote from Benjamin Graham here, I see a a tremendous connection here between what he's saying about being unduly worried by unjustified market declines and that need to be headstrong, that need to kind of, you know, run counter to to the crowd, be a rational thinker, think about what's taking place. Is Mr. Market behaving in a rational manner or is he behaving irrationally? Okay, so um, I I think that was a a key influence on Buffett. What, What Graham had to say here about Mr. Market OK, I know we touched upon the, the whole concept of Mr. Market before. What Graham had to say about Mr. Market played a key role in Buffett's thinking too. OK, and and to build on these thoughts about being headstrong, I like to quote Buffett himself and particularly what he states about the importance of temperament and his rational method of thinking. OK, so this is what he said when co-presenting with Bill Gates to an audience of students at the University of Washington in Seattle, Begin quote, How I got here is pretty simple in my case. It is not IQ. I'm sure you'll be glad to hear the big thing is rationality. So why do smart people do things that interfere with getting the output they're entitled to? It gets into the habits and character and temperament and behaving in a rational manner, not getting in your own way. As I've said, everybody here has the ability absolutely to do anything I do and much beyond. Some of you will and some of you won't. For those who who won't, it'll be because you get in your own way, not because the world doesn't allow you. Okay, and this quote was originally cited in the Warren Buffett way, a book written by by Robert G. Hagstrom. Roger Lowenstein, the author of the book Buffett, The Making of an American Capitalist, states that Buffett's genius is largely a genius of character, of patience, discipline, and rationality. Finally this is what Bill Gates has to say on Buffett's temperament. Begin quote. Warren is great with numbers and I love math too but being good with numbers doesn't necessarily correlate with being a good investor. Warren doesn't outperform other investors because he computes odds better. That's not it at all. End quote. And listeners, this quote was taken from the magazine section of the Harvard Business Review, the January to February 1996
0: edition. You, The reason, the whole reason, the premise behind the sloth investor, mm. the sloth investor, <laughs> depending where you come from, <laughs> the, it, uh, Buffett played a, a, a big part in that for you, right? Mm. How you got this title. Mm. Can you speak more to b- a bit more about that?
1: You're right, Jay, you're right.
0: So, for those unaware, a
1: key reason for the formation of the sloth investor was what Buffett stated in his 1990 letter to shareholders. Okay, so in the letter he states, "Lethargy bordering on sloth remains the cornerstone of our investment style," and even my pronunciation of the sloth varies. I, sometimes I'm sloth, sometimes I'm, sloth guy, sometimes I'm a sloth guy, sometimes I'm a sloth guy, depending on my mood. So it yeah, varies.
0: It's me my influence on you. I know. Right? I
1: think it is absolutely. Um, So, you know, listeners, Warren Buffett's shareholder letters are a great read, by the way. I mentioned Bill Gates a little earlier, and incidentally, in the same source that I mentioned before, he has this to say on Buffett's annual letters to shareholders. Warren's letters to shareholders in a Berkshire Hathaway annual reports are among the best of business literature. High praise indeed there from Bill Gates.
0: Now, it's interesting to note that many of the sloth investors' key influences reference Buffett's work. Now, you and I are both big fans of Andrew Hallam, another Canadian, and the author of Millionaire Teacher. Somebody we've mentioned before in our podcast, what does Andrew Hallam have to say? Somebody who we really believe and subscribe to um, his methodology. What does he have to say about Warren Buffett?
1: Yeah, so, okay, so I'll quote now from Millionaire Expat, okay? One of Andrew Hallam's best-known books. And this is what Andrew Hallam has to say about Buffett in Millionaire Expat. Okay. Beginning quote. Buffett wrote a parable of the money management industry in Berkshire Hathaway's 2006 annual report. It stars a family called the Got Rocks. The family owns every stock in the United States. Nobody else owns a single share. Consequently, the family shares all of the revenue generated by those businesses. But instead of harmoniously splitting that money forever, they live up to their name got rocks in the head by hiring helpers to redistribute those earnings to the family, with the helpers charging the family fees to do so. Those helpers, of course, are brokers, mutual fund salespeople and financial services companies. Their fees detract from the wealth that got rocks are entitled to. And that's why Warren Buffett instructed his estate's trustees to put his heirs' proceeds into index funds when the great man dies, end quote. Okay, so we've mentioned how Buffett's influence led to the creation of Headstrong, my fifth bedrock principle. As Andrew Hallam quite rightly identified, Buffett also has plenty to say on the importance of low fees, my second bedrock principle. Jay, what are your thoughts on the importance of low fees?
0: Well, my hope is that by doing this podcast, I can help save people some of the agony and hard lessons that I've had to learn in life. Um, Fees... Can be, you don't realize it, the the cumulative power of the, the fees and what you're actually paying over time. And they're, they're an important aspect now of my investment. When I'm looking at a fund or a portfolio that I want to invest in, fees are a, a massively important part now that I'm much more aware and in tune to what the potential destructive nature they can have mm. on your investment portfolio.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, for listeners who want more details about what we have to say about fees, of course, our second podcast episode, Low Fees, features so much information. Okay, our own personal experiences too. Okay, so in his book writing and article writing, Andrew Hallam also frequently refers to Buffett's bet with the active management industry. So back in 2007, seven, Buffett proposed a bet. His view was that over the next 10 years, a simple S&P 500 index fund would beat the brightest minds on Wall Street, i.e. the professional fund managers that operate actively managed funds. Eventually, one man, Ted Seeds of Protégé Partners, stepped forward, and the bet officially commenced on January 1st, 2008. As part of the bet, Buffett stated that his opponent must select at least five hedge funds, i.e. very popular high fee investment vehicles to represent the active management side of the bet. The returns of these firms would then be averaged so as to provide a gauge of aggregate active management performance.
0: So it's not just one it's not just one hedge fund, it's a variety of it's, yeah. it's almost half a dozen. Yeah. yeah. So this bit was
1: intriguing because it pitted two investment philosophies against each other, passive and active investing. So many listeners may be familiar with the results of the contest, but for those who aren't, the result was a resounding victory for Buffett. Initially, during 2008, the hedge funds did outperform the S&P 500 index, but in each of the subsequent nine years, the hedge funds underperformed the index. During the 10-year bet, the the active managers involved engaged in thousands of trades, These managers studied financial statements, spoke with corporate management teams, read trade journals, and obtained the insights and opinions of Wall Street analysts. Meanwhile, an investor in an S&P 500 index fund simply did nothing, absolutely nothing, and still outperformed. Many retail investors get a kick out of frequently buying and selling stocks, and to them, this activity provides a form of entertainment. However, by and large, the vast majority of investors will see better returns over time by paying little or no attention to their portfolios. I can't help but be reminded here of the first bedrock principle of the stock investor, and that is, of course, simplicity. Jay, what are your thoughts on Buffett's bet?
0: You know what, uh, the, that bet that uh, Buffett had, It you've got a very simple strategy, which is just, and he, he advocates all the time, put your investment money into an S&P index fund uh, and a low fee S&P 500 index fund. He advocates for that all the time. And even in my own portfolio, I'm still seeing that my, a lot of times the if I'm picking an individual stock, it's actually the underperforming my investment in the S&P 500. And it, I'm not sure it gets much more simple mm. than putting it in a S&P Index fund, yeah. S&P 500 index fund. I, 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 when, you t- when it comes to simplicity and reducing the, 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 all the research that you have to do for a simple-minded investor like myself, it is so simple just to put it into an index fund. And it, 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 it performs exceedingly well. We need a kiss. And, Jay, I don't mean you and me, but let's think about it, guys. Keep it simple,
1: sloughs. Yes. I love that. Keep it simple, sloughs. Like you say Simplicity, the order of the day, indeed. Okay, so in his shareholder letters, Buffett is consistently scathing of the high fees imposed on retail investors by the active management industry.
0: Okay, and so, so act by, by, by passive yeah. and active. Yeah. You mean someone who is actively trading every day, every week, every yeah. month, and by passively meaning they just they buy and hold.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you think about human beings, by our very nature, we feel compelled to do something. We want to do something. We see the financial media, we, we see CNBC news, we might read articles in newspapers and we think, ah, I've got to do something. I'm hearing about inflation. I'm hearing about potential recession. Ah, I need to do something. When ultimately, the order of the day, the very best thing to do 99% of the time is to simply sit there and do nothing. You see, I used yeah. to think, I used yeah. to think
0: that a pa- an actively managed fund will outperform, before I look, read the research, yeah. that an actively managed fund, somebody's going to be able to beat the market, time the market, somebody who's much more knowledgeable than me, and I'm going to pay them on high fee because they're going to be able to do this. But ultimately, what ended up happening was I like, flushing money down the toilet mm. because I'm paying them, number one, a high fee, but number two, they're not outperforming the uh, something as simple as the S&P index fund. Yeah, absolutely. And as I mentioned on this podcast before, we, we think
1: about life, activity... Gets us places. If we want to perfect our golf swing or a tennis serve or become a better piano player, yes, it's activity, activity, activity. But this is what, for me, makes a realm of investing so utterly fascinating. Inactivity actually provides us with more reward in the long run than activity, and that it just makes it ceaselessly fascinating. This whole domain of investing, it really does. Someone might actually
0: call it simple. I love. Oh,
1: I like it, that six letter word. I just came up with it. I like it, I like it, Jay. All right, so we mentioned the bedrock principles of headstrong and low fees and simplicity. And as we briefly touched upon earlier, one factor for Buffett's success that we must always keep in mind is the sheer number of years that he has been invested. So this is what Morgan Housel, one of my favorite investment writers has to say. And this is from Housel's most recent book, The psychology of money, okay? And this is what he says within the book. Begin quote More than 2,000 books are dedicated to how Warren Buffett built his fortune. Many of them are wonderful, but few pay enough attention to the simplest fact Buffett's fortune isn't due to just being a good investor, but being a good investor since he was literally a child. Warren Buffett is a phenomenal investor but you miss a key point if you attach all of his success to invest in Acumen. The real key to his success is that he's been a phenomenal investor for three quarters of a century. Effectively, all of Warren Buffett's financial success can be tied to the financial base he built in his pubescent years and the longevity he maintained in his geriatric years. His skill is investing, but a secret is time." End quote. Time, time, time. Is it any wonder that it's one of the bedrock principles of the sloth investor? The earlier you start, the better. Jay, what are your thoughts on time and particularly getting started early?
0: You know what? Uh, Warren Buffett, there's a quote from Warren Buffett, something that's along the lines of, if you aren't willing to own a stock for 10 years, yeah, then don't think about owning it for 10 minutes. Absolutely. And, that, and that's what you have to have. And uh, the... Some of the, the greatest minds who I read, um, when it, whether it be Warren Buffett or Montley Fool or Andrew Hellum, all tell us we need to take a long-term view. Don't look at the day-to-day noise that makes the stock needle move up and down. Minimum should be, you're considering 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. And we think about going back to our everyday life is all we think about
1: Somebody's someone who's looking to lose weight or someone who's looking to become a better runner, okay? Mm. I remember last time I was getting to running for the first time in a while and, you know, first few weeks I wasn't seeing much of a difference and then gradually over month, and month, other, maybe the second or third month, I could see that my time was improving. It was much easier to do multiple laps of the track and, um, yeah, I mean, it just applies to life. We need to commit time to see the fruits of our labor being born out. It really is so important. Good analogy. Yeah thank you very much. Thank you. So, um, so as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, Buffett can also teach us so much about what it means to live effectively as a person. This is what makes Buffett such a fascinating person to study. For example, I've always been struck by his humility. For instance, he's previously stated that it's better to hang out with people that are smarter than you. Then eventually you'll likely drift in their direction. I also love what Buffett has to say on reading. Just like his good friend, Bill Gates, he's known for being a voracious reader. In fact, I'll quote from him now, begin quote. Read 500 pages every day. That's how knowledge works. It builds up like compound interest. All of you can do it, but I guarantee not many of you will do it, end quote. I also love something that I observed as part of the research for this episode. In fact, it was just yesterday. It's a video clip of Buffett talking to a class of high school students. He's outlined to students a hypothetical situation in which they're only allowed one car for the duration of their life. No other, simply just one car for the entirety of their life. What follows is a discussion about automobile reliability, the best brand to use, the best model, and so on. But then Buffett actually goes on to state that he's using a car as a metaphor for our bodies. I.e., we all only have one body and that we should treat it with dignity and respect to ensure its longevity. I thought it was a pretty powerful discussion, I liked it. And the students were suddenly hooked. Jay, do you have any thoughts about what I've just mentioned? Whether it's Buffett's humility, the habit of reading or or looking after one's own body?
0: Well, you know, you mentioned um, his his talk to students and and Mm -hmm. I think of it myself as a father. The what you're passing on and imparting, the knowledge you're parting on to your own kids or the, the, the children you might um, come across in your life. And he, he had an interesting quote. He said something to the effect that, I believe in giving my kids enough money so that they can do anything, but not so much money that they can do nothing. Ooh, I like that. And yeah, and yeah, as a dad, that really resonates yeah. with me. As an educator, that really yeah. resonates with me. Yeah, um, The fact that, you know, you... We, as a parent, we all work to a better life for our kids. Mm. We want to want to give them the opportunities that we didn't have, or perhaps replicate the opportunities that we really did like and enjoy. But at the same part, you, the same point, sorry, at the same time, we don't want to make sure that we don't get them too comfortable where they don't have to um, recognize sort of the the importance of structure and grit.
1: Yeah, you want them to achieve a happy medium, right? Yeah, it's a really great point. Thank you, Jay. Absolutely. So, um. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I wanted to, to achieve two goals with this episode. Okay, so firstly, to expand on Buffett's inference on the formation of my five bedrock principles. And secondly, to provide some insights concerning what he can teach us about how to live effectively as people. There has simply been so much written about Warren Buffett. This could have been a four-hour podcast, but nobody wants that.
0: Now, if you had to give recommendations for um, for people who want to find out more about Warren Buffett, what would what would be, sort of, do you have any um, top recommendations that you'd give for people or for our listeners?
1: Mm, that's a great question, Jay. Um, you know, I'll provide a few now, uh, particularly those that served as useful research for this podcast episode. So the first is entitled The Snowball, Warren Buffett and a Business of Life by Alice schroeder and i actually think that's the only authorized biography of warren buffett and correct me if i'm wrong with this is but i think that's the case um, there's also a book entitled tap dancing to work a book that contains numerous articles by fortune magazine on buffett the articles were collected and expanded upon by carol j loomis um, next there's a the warren buffett way by robert g hagstrom i think i referred to that book earlier early on in this episode And finally, there's Warren Buffett, The Making of an American Capitalist by Roger Lowenstein, and I know I referred to that as well earlier on in the episode. Okay, so as we're moving towards the tail end of the show, I also just want to add some detail about what Buffett has to say about diversification, which is something that we commonly also preach on the Sloth Investor podcast. This is what Buffett states, Begin quote, diversification serves as protection against ignorance. If you want to make sure that nothing bad happens to you relative to the market, you should own everything. There is nothing wrong with that. It's a perfectly sound approach for somebody that doesn't know how to analyze businesses. Like me. (laughs) And you know, that quote was taken from Outstanding Investor Digest, Volume 29, August 8th, 1996. And you know, I love that quote, Jay, because even though you and I, we're firm advocates, of invest and in, we talk a lot about it. We've got other colleagues and friends who invest. I know many of my close family members and friends, they just have little or no interest in investing. And for them, you know, the best option is going to be to buy a low fee index fund on a regular basis. Okay. Guaranteeing them that diversification, that is going to be the best option for them. Okay. So To round things off from my side, I wanted to finish with one of my favorite Warren Buffett quotes. And I know I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but here it is again. Someone is sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago. I simply love that quote. It's a great one. Yeah, I mean, not only does it teach us much, it teaches so much about the importance of time, but it also reminds us about the transference of wealth that can take place from generation to generation, that investing our money can help to facilitate Jay, do you have anything else to add on Warren Buffett, the Oracle
0: of Omaha? No, well, I want to touch on, you You said, kiss. And ah. in education speak, that's keep it simple, stupid. We want to <laughs> refer, return to making sure it's not unnecessarily complicating things in our lives mm. and in mm. education. Well, keep it simple, sloth. Um, yeah. Make your life easier. Yeah. It doesn't have to be unnecessarily complicated. Yeah, and that's what Warren Buffett can teach us. Absolutely, yeah. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for tuning in this week. We hope you've enjoyed the episode and we will see you the next time around. See you soon, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. For more tips, follow the Sloth Investor on Twitter at Sloth underscore investor.